Dear friends, let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you resurrected Christ Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so come, O Lord, give us a spiritual resurrection that our spirit may come alive at the reading of your word, at the exposition of your word, and that your word alone remain in our hearts. Grant to us a stirring of our heart, Lord, that the truth and the spirit of truth, Lord, would come and speak to us and not just the words of a mere human being. We commit this to you, Lord, asking this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we began a series. Uh, Brother Chong Jin had, uh, in a way, kicked it off, uh, talking about the resurrection implications or the implications of resurrection for life. Uh, today, I'm continuing on in that particular series, and in particular, I'm looking at these three passages, Luke chapter 24, Acts 3, 12 to 19, and 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 to 7. There are quite a number of passages, but in a way, I'm summarizing this as kingdom life as a child of God. Now, uh, just a few days ago, in fact, yesterday, uh, we conducted a funeral service for Mr. Robert Koo. Sir Robert Koo was never really a member of the church, but I'm told that he used to attend. And his uh, daughter and son-in-law, Alice and Tay, uh, they were actually members, but eventually they also uh, kind of like uh, did not come uh, for a period of time. But nonetheless, we did this as a ministry of the people. And I recall every time I go into a wake service, uh, I remember one of my friends, a fellow pastor, uh, one of the first things that would happen when somebody has just passed away, as soon as they get there, they'll call the person's name. Ali! Rise! And then wait and see whether anything happens. <laughs> and uh, if, if nobody rises up, then it says, okay, I need to conduct the wake service after this. Now, I don't know how many of you, when you actually come to a particular service, uh, ever come into this situation. At times, even pastors, when we go for a... Uh, when we attend uh, this moment of transition from life unto death, quite often people look at us and say, do something. Uh, I'm not sure whether you've ever encountered this before. Um, pastoral work is sometimes seen as emergency services. At 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, you might get a call and say, my, my husband or my, uh, my father had a heart attack, he's in the hospital, can you go and please pray? It's almost as if they're asking, can you bring them back from where they are? And sadly, most of the time we can't. When I say most... Because to be honest, there have been some instances amongst our midst. A few of us have actually uh, prayed for people whose heartbeat had stopped. And it comes back. And it's staggering. But let me assure you, it is not because we have the power to raise the dead. It is just that God has determined at that point in time uh, that their life is not to be ended. I distinctly remember, in particular, one particular case in Sromban. His name was uh, Brother Peter. Uh, he had had one heart attack before. 
uh, and knew that it was a problematic thing. In the second time that he had a heart attack, it was not me. It was another pastor, and I won't, I won't say this pastor's name in case you all decide next time, uh, call this fellow up and ask him to pray. But he told me, and he was verified by other people from Suramban, he says, yeah, his heart had stopped, second heart attack. And they were crying, and he prayed. In faith, he says, Lord, if it is your will, will you please give him another lease of life? And his heartbeat came back. He lived for another... Uh, I think it was five or seven years. Thereafter, third heart attack, and that was it. Uh, no more coming back. Now, why do I say this? Because Lazarus as well, although he was resurrected, eventually died. And as much as you might subscribe to the charismatic emphasis of uh, you know, spirits gifting and call people saying the power of Jesus Christ and the Spirit in me rise again, all of us eventually will pass that point. And it doesn't make any sense to prolong our entrance into the spiritual kingdom uh, to defer that. You know, you want to go to heaven, you have to die. <laughs> yeah. Many of us uh, want to go to heaven but don't want to die. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's the gate to get through there. Now, let me first unpack a few of these passages. We first look at Luke chapter 24. And uh, last week, Chong Jin had said, uh, resurrection implies to us this whole idea of community. We are called together as a community of faith, people who are called by the name of Jesus. We are consecrated, uh, set aside, made holy, poured out the Holy Spirit on us, and commissioned to go and do something, sent forth to do something. And you see this being repeated in Luke chapter 24, verse 36 to 48. Now, in our uh, cultural understanding, maybe in Malaysia and most of Asia, uh, when somebody dies, uh, I don't know about your family, but in the, the, some of the funerals we conduct, especially in the Chinese and even in the uh, Indian and Malay ones that I've observed, one of the first things they do, they say, oh, go and take away all the mirrors, cover all the picture frames, move all these things. And all the kids are afraid. They say, why we do that? I say, oh, in case they come back as a ghost. Hantu. <laughs> and we are afraid in terms of this spiritual phenomena. And we, if you have your text with you, you turn with me to page 1644, Luke chapter 24, verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Irene. Uh, in, in Greek, Irene, Irene, Irene is the word for peace. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ooh, <laughs> ghost. So even amongst their particular culture, they were afraid or they had this uh, superstition that if you die and you suddenly reappear again, this might be a ghost. And the acid test of whether this is a, really a ghost or not is whether they eat, <laughs> whether they're able to eat or drink something. So he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands, look at my feet. Okay, so he's physically manifest. Now, I'd like you to, rather than just think about this intellectually, to enter into this situation. 
to actually put yourself in the shoes of the apostles, the beloved Lord and Master, the one whom they had declared the Messiah, the coming King, has now risen again from the dead, reappeared to them in flesh and blood, reappeared out of thin air. Okay? Because he just appears in their midst. Now, if you read the Luke account, Jesus almost travels 20, 30 miles in a blink of an eye. Because in that particular passage, just before that, in Luke 24, there is the Emmaus walk. He appears, and after a while, he disappears. And then he reappears. But when he reappears, he is in flesh and blood, physically there. And to prove it, he eats. Say, give me some bread. Hungry, makan. Which is good news for us, you know. I mean, if you die and you go into heaven, you're not going to be this floating, disembodied spirit there that cannot taste food. <laughs> you can still enjoy your food. <laughs> you can still enjoy the things that are physical. We don't enter into this disembodied, floating, uh, disappearing thing. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. So here's a glimpse of what our resurrected body will be like. We will be fresh and bud. And some people will say, you mean if I have any injuries, then it will be carried forward? Well, no. This is Jesus in his earthly state before he is ascended into the heavens and is fully perfected in his spiritual yet new body, the eternal body. So the expectation is that these things will eventually be fully restored as to what it is. He said to them, verse 44, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So, prophecy must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Man, I wish I was there. I don't know about you, but I wish he would open my mind so that I understand what it is I am reading. All of scripture being opened up to say that this aha moment occurs for them. Ah, now I understand what that is all about. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. Then verse 48, you are witnesses. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you, commission you, what my Father has promised and consecrate you but stay in the city until you have been clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit from on high. Now, uh, this is particularly interesting. He declares to them that they are a community because he appears to them as a community to gather together. He consecrates them, sets them aside by telling them this is all the thing that you need to know. You know, you are friends when your friends tell you what you need to know about them. And then he commissions them to bear witness to his life, death, and resurrection, 
to preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins, all nations. But before that, he says, wait until you are clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit from on high. Now, um, I think in the King James Version, the, the word that they use is endued, E-N-D-U-E-D. -E uh, the Greek, uh, sorry, let me explain a little bit. The English word endued comes from a Latin word, and the Latin word is from the Greek word endow, enduo. To endow or enduo someone is to basically take on the characteristic, be clothed with, be covered with power from on high. Now, why is this particularly important? Because all the time before this, Jesus was the powerhouse. He was the source of all power. He was the one who raised the dead. And one of the distinctive differences of Jesus' resurrection from everyone else is that nobody called Jesus up. He raised from the dead himself. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God raised Jesus, Son of God, up in this resurrection. No other person or intermediary in this. God himself does this. Now, if you have someone who has made all these astounding or insane claims that he is the Son of God, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the Word of God, that he is the manna from heaven, that he is light, and then he dies and he comes back, this person obviously is God. <laughs> And if he is God, whatever he said and promised before is true. And it's therefore imperative for them to follow this command. Because to follow this commission or command or calling that he gives to them makes them be his followers. So what does he tell them? Bear witness to his life, death. Bear witness to the gospel, essentially. Right? Life, death, resurrection, forgiveness of sins, and the empowerment and endowment of the Holy Spirit preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, let me break it down very simply so that you understand. So that when you come before God, you cannot say to them, Pastor Ronald didn't tell us this. That if we are followers of Jesus Christ, one of the things that we do is bear witness to the gospel in our lives that if we are followers of Jesus Christ, we preach repentance. This is not just the job of the pastor. It is the job of everyone. And I know you are all good preachers because you come to me and you preach to me about where the best chakwetel is or where, where the best chichofan is or where the best durian is or where the best market is. That's what preaching is. You tell it to others and you exhort others, this is good. Now, this is not a rule book. It's a command, but it's a command that illustrates what happens to a person when they suddenly are endued with this Holy Spirit. Why? Because you cannot bear witness to something you have not experienced. You cannot bear witness to the love of God if you have never felt the love of God. 
And to be honest, maybe some of us are unable to bear witness because we maybe feel, uh, I'm not sure whether I witnessed anything. And that's important because if you haven't, then you should seek with all your heart, strength, mind and soul. For God says those who seek Him with all their heart, strength, mind and soul will see Him. Now, it doesn't just end there. It doesn't just end there. In Acts chapter 1, now why is it important for you to know this? Huh? In Luke 24 is the last chapter of the book of Luke. Right? After that comes Acts. And in those who are doing their uh, BK, Bible knowledge in Form 4 and Form 5, these are the two books that they study, Luke and Acts. Because Luke is a continuation, sorry, Acts is a continuation of the book Luke. They're written by the same writer. And what does Luke say? Uh, in my former book, Theophilus, Theophilus means lover of God, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach, verse 2, until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now, you will notice that I have bold and underlined a couple of phrases. Through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen. Wait a minute, isn't Jesus still with them? Yes. But Jesus is now speaking to them through the Holy Spirit. until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit. So, what it means uh, in the literal reading of this particular text is even though Jesus was still there, he was about to be ascending into heaven and he says to them, I have asked my Father to give you what I have promised, the another counsellor, another comforter, another. Another means there was one before. Who is this one before? Jesus. So this another comforter is the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus is there. Holy Spirit is there. He's about to ascend. But Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, speaks to the apostles and gives them these instructions, what they are to teach, what they are to do. Now, if this applied for the apostles and the followers then, it should apply to us right now. Which means to say, day by day, you should be guided by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, telling you what you need to do. And you might be whispering to yourself, Cham la How come I don't hear God? Wanna? How come only pastor here? Or how come that person, that lunatic, can hear God all the time? Or you say, God tell me do this, God tell me do that, God tell me what to eat, <laughs> who to marry. Why these people hear all these voices and I don't hear that many voices, only my doubts, only my dreams, my aspiration. There are particular reasons why this occurs. I hope in the second half of the year I'll be able to touch on this, uh, touch on what it is 
is the gospel of the kingdom of God. Because we always think that the gospel is that Jesus lived, he died, he raised, you know, rose, and he purchased salvation and redeemed us. He ascended into heaven, and we are all saved as soon as we believe. That is the gospel. That is not the gospel. Let me repeat that again. Huh? That is not the gospel in its fullness. Why? Yes, Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. When we repent and believe, we enter into the kingdom. So the gospel of the good news of the kingdom of God is not that we are saved, but that we have now got access into the kingdom of God. What is a kingdom? A kingdom is one where there is a king. There is a reigning king. And that king is Jesus, not us. And living in that kingdom means you become a part of that family. And being a part of that family means you become like what that family is. So the real gospel is that it has the ability not just to save you, but to transform you to become more and more and more like Jesus each and every day. Now what's the problem with this? Maybe is the fact that many people haven't really understood this gospel. And I can prove it. In the US in particular, we know that the statistics say that Christian marriages and non-Christian marriages divorce rate roughly the same. Not only that, Christian pastors, non-Christian pastors, divorce rate also happens. And some of the most holy and righteous people we have end up in adulterous affairs. So if God is in us and we are to have the nature of Christ, how is it this still happens? Because for many of them, what it means is the gospel is salvation. I am saved. No matter what I do, even if I have an affair, even if I murder someone, I've got my barcode. <laughs> I've got my barcode that says, I believe in Jesus. And because I believe in Jesus, therefore I'm saved. No matter what I do, don't care about what is the content, my packaging is correct. I sit in the same pew, I sing the right songs, I've gone through my baptism, I'm Christian. No. Why, why, why do I say no? Because in all reality, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us is the one thing that changes everything in us. That this Holy Spirit does something in us that makes us each and every day more and more like Christ Jesus. Now, how do we see this? One thing happens. So let me bring you back to Luke 24. Jesus tells the apostles, I've uh, brought you together as a people called by my name, community. I have co uh, consecrated you, right? Poured out the Holy Spirit on you and I commission you to bear witness, preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Then, then we have the story of Peter and John. So if you turn with me to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Now, 
it's interesting if you begin at chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. Verse 1, eh? I know our reading was a little bit later on. But verse 1 says, At 3 in the afternoon, now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. Okay? So Peter and John heal a man who is lame from birth. You see this in verse 1 to 11. At a temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who had used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I don't know whether you love this story. I get excited whenever I read this story. One, beautiful is mentioned a few times. What is this beautiful gate? And do we still see it? Uh, no, you don't see it anymore. <laughs> but the reason why it was called beautiful gate was because this gate was uh, commissioned and paid for by one of the people and it was made out of polished bronze. It was beautiful because whenever... Uh, it was actually the eastern gate, so whenever, sorry, the western gate. So when the sun went down, as the sun was coming down, the sun would shine against this gate and it would be this brilliant, beautiful thing. Awesome. But at the gate were all these beggars like, feed the poor. And the Jews would give them this thing, but why is it that these cripples and lames never went past his gate? Because if you were crippled, if you were a leper, if you had any de deformity, your impurity or imperfection meant that you were not allowed to go past this beautiful gate. And so, Peter and John without Jesus, but with the power of the Holy Spirit now, looks at this person and tells this person, look at us. Now, what does it mean? If you are a person who has been crippled all your life and you have always had to depend on people to take you anywhere, to give you something, and you have no connection at all to the centre of religion, Jewish religion, the temple, where God is. Remember I said to you before, the Jewish people, where is God? In the temple. If I want to see God, where do I go? To the temple. And this guy is so close. He's at the gate. But he can't get in. And he has to rely on the charity of people going in or coming out in order for him to live. He is so humiliated by his condition that he cannot see people eye to eye. He cannot even look at them. So Peter has to tell him, look at us. Silver and gold I do not have, 
but what we have we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ get up walk and they lift his hand up and he gets up he literally jumps up his ankle and his feet are healed now if you are like me most times a cynical modern day scientific mind kind of thing cerita sajalah but I have seen enough situations where it has happened in modern times and there is no explanation for it. And the only thing that you can say about this is that miracles do happen, mysteries do happen. We don't have control over it. Because I will tell you the number of times I look at people begging and I would like to look at them, look at me. Huh? <laughs> you get out and walk. But what if I reach a point in my life where the God of heaven and earth is so real that he tells me, Ronald, do this. And I will tell you, there have been times where it has happened, at least for me or some people who move in this movement of the Spirit, where God tells them something and by faith, they just release it and it happens. Wouldn't it be marvellous? Wouldn't it be phenomenally great? But even though I tell you this, there is always a reason why a miracle happens. It is not so that you can walk again or that you would live because you will eventually die, because eventually it will break again. But these miracles are always a sign that the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's when Peter and John finally launch into what Jesus told them to do bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That whole passage there from verse 11 onwards is exactly that. This man, Jesus, you crucified him, you killed him, you hung him up on the cross. Evil men, you did this. But third day, he rose again. And he is the source of hope. The guy is preaching. He is doing what Jesus has asked him to do. And when he is doing what God calls him to do, he is operating and walking in step with the Holy Spirit. When he calls the crowd to repentance, forgiveness, and times of refreshing from the Lord. Now, this is something interesting. What is this times of refreshing? And most of you may know this song, times of refreshing here in your presence. It's a psalm. We are most refreshed when we are in the presence of God when nothing else matters. And we can die, but we'll be happy dying in the presence of God. What is this refreshing thing? Streams of living water will come out. Jesus promised the Samaritan woman, yeah, I have water that once you drink, you will never feel thirsty again. What is this water? Peter and John recognized as men who had been with Jesus. Now, I put this in because if you look a little bit further on in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, this is what they say about this. Uh, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, who are these? These are the Sanhedrin council who had hauled them up because Peter and John do all these miracles, everybody all excited. And then they find out, you know, this guy is talking about Jesus. And what do they say about them? when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. Peter, fisherman. 
John, fisherman. Shepherds, if you want to call it that. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, if anything at all, that should be what we strive for. That if anyone looks at us, all they can say is, this man uh, is a man who looks like Jesus, talks like Jesus, acts like Jesus. In fact, is Jesus to me. When that happens, something phenomenal has occurred. What is that phenomenal thing? You begin to look like your brother Jesus. You begin to look like your Father in heaven. You begin to have the likeness of God. So let me ask, what is the key to how and what we understand about resurrection? What is this whole important thing about resurrection? What is it? And 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 to 7, begins to answer that. If you turn with me to 1 John 3, verse 1 to 7, uh, again found in page 1900. NIV version says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Uh, the English is not very good. In fact, if you take the 2011 version, it says something else. It says something, See, look, behold. Why? Because in the Greek, it is a very strong word that says, Ponder and meditate on this thing. Keep chewing on it. What kind of love is this? In the literal Greek, it means of what origin and country is this? It is so alien. This love is so alien. So what he's telling us is, ponder upon, chew upon, look on, consider, absorb how great and amazing and unusual this love is that has been lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. And the reason that the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, let me make a few points very clear here. We are called to be like Jesus. Mark my words. Each and every one of you are called to be like Jesus. And trust me, I've heard many times people tell me, it's like, ah, yeah, Jesus does all these things because he is son of God, ma. He's God. I'm not God. Hello? <laughs> yes, you are not son of God but the Spirit of Christ Jesus is in you. John chapter 15 says, you know Him because He is in you. So a lot of these statements are quite big cop-outs. I cannot do this, I'm sinful, because really we're quite lazy, we would rather remain in our sin. John has these words. He says, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Sin equals lawlessness. What is lawlessness? Lawlessness is sin. Sin is being a law unto yourself. 
you determine what is right. You ignore everybody else, your father, your mother, your wife, your God. And you decide yourself, you're closed off. But you know that He appeared so that He might take away our sins and in Him is no sin, Jesus. If Jesus has no sin and Jesus is in you, the more and more you become like Jesus, the less and less sin that you have. Now, notice the grammar of what, uh, what J- uh, John is saying. No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. He's not saying that suddenly you transform into perfection, that you have absolutely zero sin. But you do not keep on sinning. It is a process of sanctification. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous. But just as he is righteous, he who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Dear friends, these things that I'm telling you, they are not intended to be commands. I'm not another Pharisee or Sadducee or a lawgiver that says, here are the laws, comply with the laws and you are Christian. No. The underlying thought of the New Testament is, you are Christian when you follow Jesus. You are Christian when you repent and believe and receive the Holy Spirit. Now, what happens when the Holy Spirit really comes into you and you surrender yourself, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Him, is that day by day, all these commands, you will naturally want to follow yourself. Um, A woman once wrote this story. She was a divorcee. She got divorced because at some point, the husband was very, very demanding. You must wake up 5 o'clock in the morning. You must do this for me. You must prepare my breakfast. You must make sure the house is like, almost like a Stepford wife, la, robot. You, you love me, you do all these things. And it was so choking that eventually she broke off on that marriage. She remarried later on. Found a man whom she fell in love with, really fell in love with. To the point that waking up in the morning in order to see him and to send him off to work was natural. To the point that what she wanted to do was just an outpouring on what she is. So one day she suddenly realized the things that I'm doing for this guy are the same things that the other guy demanded out of me. The laws that he wanted. What is this thing that is happening when we have hope in the resurrection. When we have hope in the resurrection, the key is that the Holy Spirit comes into us, the Spirit of Christ Jesus. This is the gospel of the kingdom of God that is at hand. The simplest way I can explain this to you is if you live in a village that doesn't have electricity and one day 
somebody comes and says, repent, for the power of electricity is at hand. That is what the gospel is. Repent for the power of God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is now at hand. Now, if you are like my orang asli friends uh, in the kampung, no electricity, no water, tukar pikiran kamu dan kerja kamu kerana kuasa elektrik sudah sampai. Change your mind. Repent is to turn your mind from your previous ways and the way you work to the new way. So now, if Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, power of the Holy Spirit, power, electricity, has arrived. Now, if I'm a kampung fella, I said, ini tempat bakar, tak boleh pakai kayu lagi. Kalau air panas, saya pakai cerit elektrik. I have to change. I have to make accommodations. I have to pay electricity bills. There is a cost to this. If the power of the gospel has arrived in the form of electricity or the Holy Spirit, my life has to be changed, adjusted in order for me to live this. Now, imagine, I believe electricity is here. I know it's here, but I don't want to change. Are you living in the kingdom, the fullness of life? No, because you still live in darkness. You got electricity, but you got no bulb. You got power, but you don't tap on it. You've got a billion, trillion dollar check which you never banked in nor use. You just show people, I have it. <laughs> Barcode Christian. Christian vampire. These things I say to you and I pray you forgive me because I sound as if I'm very harsh and I'm condescending or whatever. But I have to tell you this. If you have the power of God through the Holy Spirit, nurturing disciples to be a spirit-filled, impactful church. And if I don't tell you what it means to be spirit-filled and you don't come into the fullness of this, I'm not doing my job. <laughs> and when you do this, you become children of God. You receive this spirit that makes you more and more like God. Jesus' gospel of the kingdom of heaven is that the power of God is at hand where the kingdom life is as a child of God in this kingdom and the king is ruling. Jesus said, huh? kingdom of heaven, good and evil exist together. Wheat and weeds, goats and sheep, they continue to exist, but the kingdom is already here. Which means to say, we now have the power to live in spite of the evil around us. To continue to be like Jesus, if it means being crucified, being crucified like a child of Jesus. Let me end with this last illustration. This is a picture of uh, uh, what we call rubbish dumb children from Siam Reap, Cambodia. Siam Reap is not that far away from uh, some of the projects that we do in Cambodia in um, Otasain and Suetip. Okay, our brothers uh, from Alo Star Wesley and some of our friends from uh, Penang Wesley also go up there. But what do they do there? 
they set up a hostel and they bring children into this particular hostel. So Pengchet, Pastor Pengchet, you might remember him from Alo Star. Uh, he came to me and said, how did Otasain start? I asked him, he says, oh, we started this work and then one day children appeared and our worker in that particular community asked the children, what are you doing here? And the children came to them and said, do you have any food? Can you feed us, please? Because our parents have asked us to go out and look for food, they were looking for frogs. They had gone so far from their kampong because they came from, uh, from Suetip, which is about 5-10 kilometers. They had gone so far, it was so late that they could not get home. And they said if they get home, they'll get beaten because there's no food. They didn't find anything to eat, three of them. So the guy took them in and said, okay, let me feed you. And after a while, they kept coming. And every day they feed. Now, we have a hostel there. 19 children. These are children who, if you don't do this, they will end up in rubbish dumps like this. Walking, if you can see this child. This particular child is jumping there, barefoot, in a landfill where they're collecting all this rubbish. They are collecting plastic for recycling. But you imagine the stuff that we throw, bulbs, glass, metal, all that. Now, imagine this. Children, you now come into this hostel. You are now children of God. You live in this new place. And we adopt you as our children. But then we set rules for these children. You cannot dress like this. You must change. You must put on clothes. You must go to school. You must study. You must... And they say, I, I don't like this. And then they say, I want to go back to the rubbish dump. That's what we are. You've been adopted into the family of God and God tells you these things in order that you might live according to children of God. But we say, I'd still like to go back to my rubbish dump because my rubbish dump has got interesting stuff that amuse me. And I like, yes, it's dangerous. But the adultery is so exciting. Yes, it's dangerous. But the lies get me out of doing the right thing. Yes, it's dangerous. But the pornography fills my mind. That's what it means to be adopted as a child of God, to dwell on this love that a God who is so far above takes us into the family, dresses us, cares for us, wants to make us His children. Therefore, that's why it's inconsistent if we keep going back to the rubbish dump, searching and rooting in there for little nuggets of treasure that will say, ooh, so happy. God's laws are not meant in order to be a Pharisee, Sadducee thing. The laws were meant to show us how life ought to be. But true life is when we acknowledge ourselves as children of God, live in this power of the Spirit, and day by day become transformed into Christ-likeness. So, two questions. Are you daily being clothed, endued, filled with the Holy Spirit? How? Prayer, Scripture. And mind you, I'm not telling you quit your job, become a hermit and just read the Bible every day and pray every day. No. Jesus did not do that. He was out in the community. 
it means walking with the reality that Christ is King in everything that we do. To acknowledge that He is physically present, that His Holy Spirit is on hand to speak to us. The next question is a harder one. Are you a child of God? Do you know and can you bear witness to the fact that you, in your heart of hearts, know that you are a child of God and what it means? And will you live in accordance to this identity? More importantly, will you teach your children? I had the good fortune of meeting this man, uh, Dr. Chan Kuk Wing. He was our uh, lay leader for track conference for a number of years. He passed away of a heart attack at the age of 60. All three of his sons said at the wake service, Dad, all this used to tell us, I am your temporary father. Whilst you are on this earth, I am your steward, guardian, overseer, biological father. But your spiritual father in heaven is the one who will continue to take care of me, of you, even when I'm not around. They repeated it many times throughout the week. Are we teaching our children the reality of this spiritual father in heaven? The brotherhood of Christ Jesus and the protection of the Holy Spirit and empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be the children of God. Once you understand this, you will begin to realize that your righteousness will exceed that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You will naturally want to do what is good rather than be told these are the commands, comply. Let us pray. Dear Lord, in your mercy, will you use the many words that I've used, Lord, in order to bring across the simple message, Lord, that we are your children. Help us to live in truth that Christ is King, that our Father in heaven is present and near us all the time. And the empowerment and the enduing of the Holy Spirit is with us in order that we might be transformed to fully be the perfect children that you have called us to be. Help us, Lord, to realize this implication of the resurrection, life everlasting now and forevermore, and teach us your way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Your friends, if you uh, look at the outline in your bulletin, I would suggest...